Volume 2, Issue 80, Shin Megami Tensei Persona 4. Shin Megami Tensei has been around for a while, standing just outside the industry spotlight, quietly releasing unusual Japanese RPGs, desperately searching for signs of love. Despite garnering only a tiny cult following, its heartbeat heartbeat just kept on pounding. Atlas even found the resources to release spin-offs such as Devil Summoner and Persona, all bearing the Shin Megami Tensei name. When Persona 3 reached US shores, at first it seemed it would go unnoticed, but a small group of people just wouldn't shut up about it. Persona 4 was met with a similar reaction and the discussion became more passionate and increasingly hard to ignore. And now what started as a spin-off has garnered more critical acclaim and attention than the series that spawned it. Many fans and critics alike would even go so far as to consider Persona 4 the greatest Japanese RPG ever made. Or, at the very least, one of the best. I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, with the, with the bear, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Joining me, Joshua Garrity, in this issue, Darren Foreman. Persona, let's go away. (laughs) Sean O'Brien. Very excited to be here. And our special guest today, Leah Haydu from the Some Other Castle podcast. I'm led to believe that we will be reaching out to the truth. When does that start? Like now? Uh, Hopefully. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'm issuing a spoiler warning right here, right now. Persona 4 has a lot of twists and turns, so if you don't want those story spoilers ruined, please turn off the podcast, complete the game, well, complete the game in like two months' time or whatever, (laughs) however long it takes to complete. But uh, yeah, you've been warned. Okay. With the uh, Kane and Rince podcast, we always start with our histories with the franchise. Just a brief summary of uh, how we came across the series and so forth and so on. So I'd like to start with our special guest, Leah. Well, I uh, worked at GameStop uh, over here for quite a long time, of several years. And around the time that I started was around the time that Persona 3 came out. And I had never heard of the series up until then. I am a very big fan of JRPGs in general. And I had a lot of people telling me, oh, you'd really like this. You'd really like this. It's messed up. You should probably try it. <laughs> All right. So I picked up a copy and I did not get around to playing it for a while. But when I finally did, I was pretty much in love with it. So when Persona 4 came out, it was perfect. And I jumped right on it. And um, I, I I would be hard pressed to say whether this or 3 is my favorite in the series but it's it's a very very tight race so that's that's how i got around to persona cool uh darren well um shin megami tensei nocturne is what kind of got me into the series one of my friends bought it uh, an import from america and we kind of like shared uh, an imported ps2 so i played through it in that and i really enjoyed the incredibly bleak storyline which uh, was filled with heartwarming stuff such as the end of the world and humanity pretty much getting wiped out in one blow. That game actually starts with the end of the world, which is great. (laughs) And and it's just completely nonchalant as well. Oh, the world ended. Carry on. Yep. Oh, that's (laughs) Satan. Hey, Satan, how you doing? And uh, basically, I kind of got into the series at that point. Um, I had a PlayStation Portable, so I got, um, like, uh, Persona 3 Fez, was it? Uh, Persona 3 Portable. Oh, Oh, Fez was the uh, second release of the PS2 version. Yeah, that was the PS2. Kind of got mixed up with them. And um, 
unfortunately, I didn't have much of a, of a battery in my uh, PSP at that time, so I was only able to play for an hour at a time, and I kind of gave up about 14 hours in. That sounds yeah. about like a regular P- PSP experience yeah, probably, like for any game. The best one. And uh, then, like, not long ago, like, um, Persona 4 was on the go, obviously, but I kind of skipped that for whatever reason. And a few months ago, I got my hands on a PlayStation Vita, because it was nice and cheap through eBay, and I got a 32 gig card with it. And I was really wanting, pretty much I bought this Vita for Persona 4 and Dead Alive 5 Vita. So, uh, got this game in, and yeah, I pretty much had a good time, but I think I will go into more specific further on the episode. Uh, Sean? Uh, well, I don't have much history with the series at all. Um, I first mostly heard about it actually through you, Josh, because um, we were back in the old uh, Digital Cowboys forums. You were always championing Persona as a, in general, all the series. So um, I bought uh, P3P and you kept telling me that's not the version to play. That's not the version to play. Ah, oh, disagree. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to come to blows at some point in this podcast over Persona 3. Um, and yeah, I only played about like a couple hours of that, but I, I didn't really get along with the um, the way you traverse around the uh, normal world, or whatever yeah. it's called, I'm not sure. Um, so I didn't really get too far into Persona 3, but um, when Persona 4 Golden came out, I already had a Vita and was a little struggling for something finding something to play, so I thought I'd finally give uh, Persona 4 a shot and played about the first, I played through like the intro for about three months because it felt so slow, but I guess we'll get into that, and then I eventually finally just finished it last night, so <laughs> took about six months, but I got there. Uh, cool. I actually got into the Persona series through your podcast, Leah. Hey! Um, <laughs> uh, Some of a Castle, and I, I'm sure Leah won't mind me saying this, is pretty much the official persona podcast uh you and um you and elaine constantly talk about uh persona and after a while i was just like god i've got to check these games out and i had kind of started to wane off of jrpgs at that point in my life like i used to be really really into them but i just i kind of got sick of the same old same old oh we're gonna save the world and it's gonna be in a fantasy slash sci-fi setting and there's the main character is going to be an emo and it, it really started to wear me down and i was much more interested in western rpgs like um fallout 3 and mass effect at that time and so i played persona 3 fez uh, which was the first one i played absolutely fell in love with it and went into persona 4 thinking oh there's no way that this i'm it's going to be as good as persona 3 fez and well I was wrong. Um, Right, moving on. Um, We kind of... I get the sense that Darren's the only one who has any history with the other Shin Megami Tensei games. Am I wrong in saying that? I have played the previous two Persona games. Uh, Well, I guess actually technically there's three previous Persona games because there's two sections to Persona 2. But um, I have played... Uh, the original Persona and Persona, I I want to say it's Innocent Sin. It's whichever one got ported to the PSP. Um, but I have not played any of the other Shin Megami Tensei games, no. Um, now, I hear, because I haven't actually played Persona 1 or 2, that they're actually 
while there are certainly a lot of things that are similar between uh, 3 and 4 and those original games, they do have quite a different tone, apparently. Am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, they do. Um, they they don't focus as heavily on the social links as, uh, as much as they do on... Um, they have things called rumor systems, and I think this is the case for both of them. It's been a while since I played them, uh, so I apologize if this is a little off. But um, they, that's kind of what takes the place of social linking, and it's not as in-depth, and you don't get as much out of it. Um, and also the battle system is, oh, it's it's rough, man. It's, it's really not easy to use, because instead of having a normal... Um, well, I call it normal. Instead of having a, uh, a kind of traditional almost uh, turn-based battle system you have a um it's kind of a first person uh traversal through the dungeon so it's really really old school rpg uh it just it feels older it feels dated and these three and four do not to me at all right okay let's talk about the story i've made the executive decision that we aren't really going to examine the story of Persona 4 plot point by plot point, because if we did, this podcast would be six hours long, and nobody wants to hear me and Lee just go on and on about every point there is in this game. Um, but no, I, that was a fantastic podcast, and thanks a lot for everyone. If so, you want that, just go listen to back episodes of some other podcast. We probably talk about it at some point, whatever it is. But just to um, bring everyone up to speed, just to provide some like setup, uh, just in case people who haven't played Persona 4 are listening, uh, Darren, do you want to take the challenge of doing it? Well, Persona 4 is about the young protagonist, Yuna Akimura, although uh, he doesn't actually have a name in this version. You can kind of give him your own moniker. And his parents have went overseas, and he's been sent to live with his uncle Dojima in the town of Inaba. And... Basically what happens is there's this this thick fog that's kind of encroaching on the town and uh, people are saying that if you look into the at blank TV at midnight, a TV that isn't turned on, you'll be able to see your soulmate. But it turns out that you're actually seeing someone who's about to get murdered. And it turns out that you and a slight few other uh, Persona users are able to go into this TV and prevent it from happening so long as you're able to take out the shadows which are their other forms. But even though you're doing this, there is someone out there actively trying to murder a bunch of people. So it's kind of like got this kind of a detective setup where you're trying to figure out who's doing it, yeah, why it, they're doing it. It's and it, it's kind of like a, a, a supernatural detective story, really. Uh, if you want to sum it up to what its bare bones uh, plot is, uh, and and it kind and there are several twists and turns and 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 so, a whole you know, lot of dating as well. Yeah, and a whole lot of Darren being incredibly unfaithful to his girlfriends. Hey, man, you got you to gotta move on once you got what you want. <laughs> oh, God. I'm very faithful, just to everyone. These are 16-year-old girls who are going into really dangerous territory. Um, My car was 14, or thereabouts. I am exonerated. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I wanted, to, before we just dive like headfirst into the characters, I wanted to briefly chat about the writing and localization, because in my opinion, Atlas USA have done a phenomenal job uh, localizing this game. It, 
do you guys agree with me? Absolutely. Given the amount of jokes that uh, Teddy makes about bells, yeah, I think they <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, I think the uh, the localization is is fantastic, and I think that that Atlas did a great job both in Persona Three and in this. But I, I think in this particularly, I um, after I played through Persona Four for the first time, I think that I would have said, and, and I, I may have said uh, that. Three was my favorite for story, but four was my favorite for um, battle systems and just technical stuff. After having played through it a couple of more times and having watched the anime, I'm not 100% sure that I agree with that earlier assessment of mine because it just it, it seems to it seems to work a lot better than many many jagas. I've played a lot of JRPGs. I've played a lot of JRPGs and. They aren't always the best about having great localization or voice acting or really any kind of translation. I go so far as to say that JRPGs are notorious for having bad writing in yeah, general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I, the thing is, I think a lot of us experienced this where we all, uh, Persona fans I'm talking about, where we played Persona 4 and all of us are like, you know, uh, big Final Fantasy fans, JRPG fans. And we were, you know, Final Fantasy 13 is, was right around the corner and we're like, oh yeah, I can't wait to play that. And the dialogue and, and voice acting in Final Fantasy 13 compared to what's on display here is, really in just com- completely unacceptable by comparison. The thing it's- is, I mean, for Final Fantasy thirteen, you can basically get the words Pulse, Le Sea, and Hoop, and just throw them about at random, and you've probably got every sentence in the game. Pretty much. Pretty much. It's just all this weird psychobabble that means absolutely nothing. You know, it's like white noise that they use to fill up the space in the game, so that you think that uh, there's a story in the background. And... Final Fantasy thirteen, it was a regression of a lot of things that Final Fantasy fans liked, but they could still have made a decent game if the narrative had been any kind of enthralling whatsoever. Well, the, but the, it goes out of its way to push you away. Sorry, Sean, you were going to say something. This is kind of something I wanted to take a minute to examine because the the localization, like I, I totally agree, like it's it's outstanding. But at the same time, I'm not I'm not entirely sure why. Because do, do you guys like? Nobody talks like they do in this. The thing is, I mean, it's really colloquial, and it's got a lot of, like, really charming jokes, you know, just little puns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it it, feels natural is is the big thing. It feels feels like something that that might actually take place in. And it, it can get away with having little things about it that are maybe a little bit off because they aren't making any secrets about the fact that this is a Japanese high school. You know, they leave sure, in yeah. the senpais and the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the terminology that isn't from any kind of uh, European or, or uh, American high school um, because this is a, 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 this is a setting that isn't quite the same as, as what mm-hmm. we might normally have experienced. And, I think that by not really making excuses for that, by not trying to take that out, they kind mm-hmm. of give the impression that this is a slightly different thing, but it's still very much something that you might be able to walk into and know what's going on. It's just crazy to me, considering how small a budget the Persona games are dealing with and the astronomical amount of money that was pumped into 
uh, JRPGs like um, Final Fantasy Thirteen and Infinite Undiscovery and stuff like that. That the voice act like I honestly would put this on par with something like Mass Effect. Honestly, I think the voice acting and the writing and the dialogue is that good. But anyway, right, enough of that. Let's talk about the characters. Um, starting with Yosuke Hanamura, who, fittingly, the first time you meet him, is stuck in a bin. <laughs> uh, has anyone got anything to say about this fellow? He sure is clumsy, and he loves wielding weapons and filthy police officers. <laughs> I, 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 I'm glad he's one of the first characters you meet in the game, because I, I feel like Chie and Yosuke are two of the characters the game... Uh, starts you with because I don't want to I don't want to say they're normal but they feel the most like people you'd r- meet in real life if that makes sense whereas characters later like characters like Naoto and Teddy mm-hmm. seem much more extreme and unusual um, I'm assuming and I, that you're speaking from personal kind of experience there because my life it was the other way around well, that you've never met people like Chie and Yosuke, but Teddy no. and yes, Naoto. Teddy. <laughs> you've met a Teddy. Darren hangs out with bears all the time. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I think that um, I think that a, a, a decent way to uh, to describe how the, the maybe the order of the people that you meet is it takes more time to explain what this person is all about the further you get down yeah. the list. You can yeah. sum up Yosuke in a sentence. He is an out-of-town boy who's not that bright. Bam, yeah. that's done. <laughs> that's all there is to Yosuke. Once you get down to, like, Risei and Naoto, then you're you're a little bit more confused. So yeah. I think I think they just kind of ease you into uh, the really, really weird stuff um, a, a, a bit. That's and I, think that's, I mean, they, yeah. do, they do a masterful job of just setting up the world, you know? Yeah, like all the things that would be out of place, you sort of discover at the same time as the protagonist. Yeah, I, and it's not—it's also not to like down talk Yosuke, Yosuke or Chie either, because even though they are two of the more normal characters, they're just as deep as anybody else in the. Oh, absolutely! Cast. Yeah. yeah, Chie uh, can kick a tank into space. Yes, she can. <laughs> um, j- just to refocus the conversation on Yosuke a bit. Um, I was impressed by because Yosuke, I um, put Yosuke and Junpei from Persona Three in the same camp, in that they're two characters that at first I didn't really like. Um, they came off as you know Id- idiotic and impulsive, and um, but as the story progresses, Yosuke really comes into his own and really matures as a person and and it's like you know it's like watching a boy become a man as the journey continues and he's still comical and uh and clumsy all the way through but he he it does feel like he's grown from his experience by the end and it all started with you pulling him out of a bed right next chie santanaka uh, this is a fan favorite character she's become famous uh for her ability to kick a tank into space, amongst <laughs> other abilities. Um, she has got an unashamed love of meat. <laughs> indeed. Ste- she loves her steak. Just, And I know that sounds wrong, but we mean yeah, that in the literal, about, it's, it's the literal sense. Yeah. <laughs> she really, really loves steak. Um, I doubly after seeing that, and I didn't mean to. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Chia was definitely a favourite of mine, you know. Um, She's 
fairly normal, but she's completely obsessed with Kung Fu. It's just, she, she's, she comes across as a really obsessive kind of cartoon at times, but she's, she's definitely one of the more playful cartoons in the game, and although I don't think that her A to B um, cartoon growth is as pronounced as some other cartoons, she's just a fun cartoon to have in the game. Yeah. Know, I quite liked her. Mm-hmm. I think for me, uh, the reason why I really grew attached to her is because she actually reminds me of somebody I know in real life. Um, <laughs> as freaky as that sounds, I, I you know, I, I have a, a I don't want to name them on the podcast because I'm sure they'll get embarrassed. But I have a female friend who really, really digs kung fu movies <laughs> and just loves hanging out with the the guys and doing lots of you know manly stuff because she wants to be one of the one of the guys and stuff like that and i i just find found chie hilarious in a very natural way it didn't feel like any of the jokes from her were especially forced Mm -hmm. not not to say that teddy's incredibly forced jokes weren't funny um (laughs) but it, it did feel like a lot of her humor came from just really honest character moments yeah, I think I think one of the uh, neat things about Chie that you don't see a whole lot in JRPGs in general is that she is the first girl that you meet, but she's not pushed in your face as a love interest. You can mm-hmm. go that direction with her, but you don't have to, and it's not part of the main storyline that you are going to end up with this girl no matter what. And that's really something that a lot of JRPGs do. The first girl you see, it's like, oh, this is your childhood friend, and she, you're in love with her or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I just appreciate because with a lot of um, JRPGs, female characters are often put in very archetypal roles. Oh, she's the healer. Oh, you mean like Yukiko? She... <laughs> yeah. Well, true, but I, I, I think. There are enough other female characters that Yukiko's position as the typical healer female isn't so uh, offensive. Yukiko was the typical pyromaniac in my game. Yeah, oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I used to use it for, too. See, that's, that's part of the thing, is that any of these characters, you can really put them with some work into any role. And now it's going to be harder mm-hmm. for some than it is for others, but um, like like you guys were saying with yukiko she is also just because she's so suited to being a healer it also makes her a massive massive um uh can i say hard ass or are we like is this yeah are, yeah, are yeah. To, okay. no no you can swear if you want okay I wasn't I'll, sure. I'll blush but uh, okay all right yeah. fine she <laughs> i mean yukiko is just a a massive massive hard ass when it comes to just casting any kind of spell, be it healing spells, be it damage spells, she can be the one, and particularly after you get some of the other characters like Teddy, or if you choose to be your own healer and, and focus on your own personas having uh, more effective healing abilities, then she can just blast things away all day long, and it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, it's, it's all how you choose to build them. Uh, uh, I I just appreciated that Chie ended up being one of my heavy hitters. Like, she was... She's so powerful um, in, in terms of her combat abilities. And we briefly mentioned it before, but she has a special ability. Um, if you if you manage to knock the enemies down, she's able to 
perform an ability called the Galactic Punt, which essentially is a one-hit kill that sends the enemy into orbit. <laughs> and it's it's one of those... Every time it comes up, you're like, yes, this is the best thing ever. Um, and it just makes her all the more you know, endearing that she does all this ridiculous stuff and she's so interesting and weird. Uh, Yukiko Amagi, um, kind of Chie's partner in crime, I'd say. Uh, very shy, timid character who laughs really incessantly and annoyingly <laughs> but is still kind of endearing despite that it was just endearing for me um i think that if she didn't have that like weird giggle and just like some of the weirdness in her i wouldn't look mm-hmm. like this character quite so much yeah it would have been really easy to make yukiko just the stereotypical japanese schoolgirl who is uh, you know yeah. very shy and retiring giggles behind her hand and blushes anytime anybody looks at her ever and that's a deal. I mean, the minute I seen her Carter at, that is exactly the kind of Carter I expected. <clears throat> so it was actually a, a nice surprise just to find out she was different, you know? Yeah, and, and for me, honestly, for the first, like, third of the game, she kind of just was that, and I was a little disappointed in that character. But yeah, as you guys were saying, as, as, as with any of these characters, the more you get to know them, the better you better they come off and the more you grow on them so i really appreciated the relationship that formed between yukiko and chie um they're one of the closer partnerships in the game i feel uh, in that they kind of they give the other person what the other person doesn't have if that makes any sense like yukiko is much more cautious and timid but sometimes she doesn't take the chances that she needs to chie is willing to dive headfirst into anything, but she needs somebody to, some, you know, hold her back sometimes. And um, especially when um, they... I, I think it was events after they leave Yukiko's uh, dungeon where they have a chat, uh, a real discussion about the nature of their relationship and how it's not like... I think both of them were, were under the impression that it was a one-way, you know, relationship where they were just taking something from the other person but actually they were they 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 complement each other and they and they do benefit from each other's um presence they are the twin dragons yes that that is actually a big part of yukiko's dungeon is when you're hearing what her inner thoughts actually are and a lot of it is how she views chie and how she thinks of that that partnership as you're saying between them right okay kanji um before we talk about kanji i want to read this uh post from the forum because i think it's a good place to jump off from uh link 6616 says i'm interested in how you're going to talk about kanji because well i think the gay community is a little too eager to make him gay as a gay man myself, I wish and want more gay uh, gay characters in gaming in general, and Kanji certainly sets up a lot. But this talk of people being disappointed that Atlas, Atlas didn't go the whole way with Kanji, be it original intent or supposed localization changes, just annoys me. I actually identify strongly with Kanji's issue. Does being interested in X, Y, and Z make me A, B, and C? What Kanji fears is that his interests make him gay, and his attraction to Naoto brings that up all the more and his fears of how others perceive his interests too. 
Kanji is worried about how to perform the role of being a man while still wanting to pursue more feminine interests. Now, as a gay man, I sort of identify this the opposite way round. I knew I liked guys, but I was terrified that I was supposed to like fashion, say fabulous all the time, and get myself a man bag and be obsessed with campy musical theatre. Okay, that one is true. And generally fit that stereotype. That people might not see who I am beyond that stereotype. That my gayness, his words not mine, would almost overcome me, like some demon possession. Could Kanji be gay? Sure, but I think what he deals with, at least in the version we see, is a very legitimate issue that often gets a bad rap, and one that is just as interesting even if it doesn't score minority points. Thoughts? I think that's a very good post. Like, the thing is, I mean, Kan as, as uh, Link 6616 is saying, Kanji is dealing with a lot of issues that... You know, it's all about society's views of him, you know, like how they would try and classify him if his interest got out. And the thing is, like, he's going around as this really scary biker, like, chasing everyone off, despite the fact that he's got hobbies such as suing and uh, stuff that you wouldn't really associate with that. And I don't think that Kanji is necessarily gay. There's no problem if he is, you know, he's still a great carter either way. But um, it's, I think that Link's got a really interesting point there. Yeah, I think he hit it spot on. Like some some kids are just confused; they don't know exactly what they know. They know they want, and even adults sometimes are still confused, not knowing what they want. And I think it's it's such a bold choice for them to put that in this game. It's something I haven't seen in any game that I've played before, and it was such a bold and strong choice for them to make this character the way he is, and not have it go either way. Like he's he's just not like at the end of the game he's like, oh, I'm straight, I know what I want, or I'm gay, I know what I want. Like it's just he's still confused and it's just it's very fascinating yeah and i mean i think a lot of people are taking their um their views of him from his journey in the midnight channel you know in his dungeon where he is a little bit more flamboyant but the thing is those are whenever they're in the midnight channel it's always a really focused like expanded version of, um that very exaggerated yeah it's like it's like they've taken that and put it like to the limit you know and it, that doesn't really apply to them in real life it's just their fears have been magnified out of all proportion. So, you know, that's not necessarily his true feelings. There is a bit of that. But um, as I said, you know, it's all expanded. I think that it would have almost lost something for Atlas in their localization efforts or in their writing, whichever whichever way you want to look at it. I think that it would have lost something for them to make it simply... Kanji's gay, that's what he's dealing with. It's more complicated than that, because as you guys were saying, it it doesn't ever really get resolved whether he's gay or whether he's straight or whether he's bisexual or what he is. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that he's dealing with these issues of how people perceive him and how he wants people to perceive him and how that affects who he actually is and what he actually enjoys. It's not about, necessarily, whether he likes men or women or or both it's it's about these activities that don't really have a bearing either way but that he thinks might make him seem a way that he he doesn't want to be seen i think it kanji could could have so easily been the stereotypical 
badass with a heart of gold. You know, mm-hmm. not that there's anything wrong with that. There are great examples uh, examples of that in media, like Jane from Firefly and so forth and so on. But having this extra dimension to the character makes him so much more interesting. Um, and it makes a lot of his actions, you know, the way he acts out and stuff like that makes so much more sense. And having, and I feel like we haven't really clarified this point, but I'll make it clear here. When um, pe- uh, people go into the TV world, they are confronted with their inner selves, uh, all the f- thoughts and feelings that they suppress and they don't express to other people. And it's just so interesting to see a character like uh, Kanji come face to face with so much inner turmoil and so much <laughs> confusion about what who he really is. Um, it's one of the reasons why I love this game so much that it even approaches this kind of, uh, you know, really heady psychology. And I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say like this is the best example of uh, this kind of examination. It's not, but so few games even attempt it that I think it's worth, um, you know, praising. It should also be noted that he's running around in a loincloth at this point. Yeah. It's just very very brave of them to even talk about this kind of thing and and doubly brave to not try and give it a solution. Just let it go. Cool. Right, much a lighter character now. Well, I say that he gets pretty dark. Yeah, um, he really does. <laughs> um, Teddy, somebody who at first you think, oh, he's just going to be the cute mascot character, then he gets really creepy yeah. <laughs> really quickly, just like uh, most of my friends in real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I just. As a jumping-off point, I think the one, the one point that everyone thinks, you know, the one point we all agree is the point where Teddy just gets so damn weird, is when you find out he's grown himself a human body so that he can <laughs> walk around the real world with everyone else. It's, yep. it's, I, I put the Vita down. When this happened, I said, "What the fuck? What what the fuck is this game? What is happening?" I, I, I was so confused. I didn't know what the hell was happening. So well, fucking weird. When you first when you first meet Teddy, he is just he's like you said he's he's like a little mascot in a bear costume, and he's in the in the TV world. And Yosuke, being Yosuke, wanders over to him and goes, "Oh, I'm going to see what's inside here," and yanks off his head, and the head of the the bear costume and there's nothing inside he's completely hollow and that's freaky enough but then later on you find out that not only is it hollow in there he can basically do whatever he wants so he just grows himself a person in the bear suit (laughs) yeah that 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 i had problems with that it's possibly quite telling about my psychology that i found none of this weird (laughs) (laughs) i i had I had a feeling that you wouldn't find that weird. <laughs> did you? Did you at least find the fact that a giant anthropomorphic uh, teddy bear was chatting up sixteen-year-old girls? It's like I said, just... that's that's uh, something you have to deal with in my neck of the woods. So. <laughs> <laughs> giant bears trying to steal your women. It happens all well, the time. Well, I mean, in the body Scotland. that he did pump out was another sixteen-year-old kind of yeah. age group. <laughs> And really attractive to older women, apparently. 
makes, okay. makes a beautiful um, girl. I, with in in the Vita version, you can change people's costumes, and so yeah. I had uh, I had Teddy running around in his uh, in his drag pageant costume for pretty much the latter half of the game. Oh, God. Yeah, I did that with everyone. I, I just uh, I think it's worth bringing That's what up. I think I had the the Secret Service outfits, but uh, yeah. I think it's worth bringing up now. Um, I feel like when a lot of people look at Persona from the outside looking in, there's this. There are some preconceptions about what a JRPG is and what anime is, and I think they assume that because there are teenage characters and it's set in high school, that Persona Four is going to be really, really self-serious, kind of melodramatic, mm-hmm. and everyone's going to have at least ten zippers too many. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's not to say that there isn't uh, melodrama in Persona 4, but Persona 4 is really funny. Like, a lot of the dialogue is hilarious, and Teddy's a great example of that. Even though, like, even the jokes that are terrible make me laugh, his... All of his bear puns just make me laugh. I don't know. I think the best one is when he just says... I've been deliberating it for yeah. long, and it's just so forced. It's just so uncomfortable that it made me laugh. Uh, oh, oh God, um, I forgot to bring this up with Chie, so I'm going to bring it up here with Teddy. Um, there's actually a difference between uh, the original version of Persona 4 and Golden in that the English voice actor uh, for Chie and Teddy is different between the two games. It's also now, uh, they're the same character or the same uh, voice actors as in the uh, the fighting game, the Persona 4 Arena. Mm. Yeah. Also, is the uh, uh, the second set of voice actors. Now, I know that the voice actress who plays Chie wasn't available to come back because apparently she retired from voice acting full stop. Uh, I have no idea what happened to the voice actor who played uh, Teddy originally. Um, I have to say, I've only played the original Persona 4. I haven't played Gold, uh, Golden due to not owning a Vita. Um, but, you know, rest assured, once I have a Vita, that game will be mine. Um, yeah, uh, Leah, you're you're the only one here who's played both versions. How do you feel about the uh, different performances? Well, at first, I did not like the new voice actress. I... I... I was very tired, and I don't think that it was a fault of hers. I think it was just that I had already spent so much time with the version of Chie that was in the original Persona 4 that I I didn't like how the um, how the new actress w- was changing things. Now, Teddy was a little bit different because Teddy, the new voice actor for Teddy plays it very, very close to the old voice actor for Teddy, uh, and I think he does a, a fine job of... of replicating that as best she can. Chie, the new voice actress, reads her lines pretty differently. Um, mm. And she has grown on me a lot as I have, as I've played, um, as, as I played through all of arena and as I, I have been playing through uh, persona Four golden uh, now for a second time. And um, I, I think that she, she does do a very good job, but it is a different style of re- I, I I think the thing that disappoints me the most is that they took out the most horrible line reading the one piece of voice acting that was truly terrible in Persona 4 <laughs> and that is the line in battle aha is this our chance they re-recorded that and she actually doesn't oh, sound completely no. stupid when she says it now and that disappoints me <laughs> yeah I 
the thing is, I've only seen video footage of Persona 4 Golden, so my opinion, you know, you shouldn't take it into account really when it comes to these voice actors because, you know, as you get exposed to it over time, you do get used to it. I do feel like one of the reasons why I'm slightly hesitant to immediately dive into Persona 4 Golden is because they've changed the voice actors for uh, Chieya and Teddy, and I know that sounds ridiculous to anyone who oh. hasn't played uh, the Persona games, but like you get so attached you to do. these characters yeah, that, um, like, it's even if the vocal performance is good, it's just not my Chie. It's just not my Teddy. Um, and th- there are several things about Chie, especially, that really bothered me. I didn't like how much more energetic she was and higher pitched her voice was in Golden. And people have come back and told me, well, actually, that's more appropriate for the age she is and that the original Chie actually sounded like somebody in her 20s. And I I get that to some degree, but shut up. It's my (laughs) Chie. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, like, the thing is with Chie, like, um, I heard that a lot of people were put off just, like, right at the start, but they grew to... uh, appreciate this new voice actor really quickly and I mean I can't really comment personally because I never uh, heard the old Jay but the new one acquits herself perfectly well in my opinion yeah and I have no doubt of that I'm just being my you know it as has already been brought up you spend you spend you spend 80 hours of a character and you get attached to a that, that's certain exactly performance. what I was going to say it's, it's the opposite way for me having watched videos of the PS2 version like she does sound like a very old lady, and it just throws me <laughs> off. Like I'm, it's just it's, it's, like you're saying, it's not my chair. I'm telling you, aha! Is this our chance? Like the <laughs> worst line of dialogue. Yes, aha! Is this our chance? Okay, uh, Risei Kujikawa, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Um, one of the more zany characters, I'm going to say, in the game. I'm, I'm going to say right now, um, and feel free to attack me, um, I'm not a fan of Risei. I'm with you. I'm, she's one of my least favourite characters. I don't think she's a bad character, don't get me wrong, but she's the... Uh, if she existed in real life, she'd wind me up as well. That that's my problem. She's a kind of person that I tend to avoid. Yeah, very full of herself. Yeah. Those are absolutely horrible human beings, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd I knew you'd feel this way. I find her strangely adorable. I mean, like the thing is I tend to dislike cartels that are too stuck up. But um she had enough quibbles and like self confidence issues and just but there was something about Risei that she was 
like, bordering on being unlikable in certain places, which never crossed that line for me. I think that she's supposed to be a little unlikable that way, because she yeah. is... The, the thing about Risei is that if, if you don't know who Risei is, Risei um, is a young girl who has been built up to be a teen idol and then decides that she is taking a leave from show business. So she has been, presumably from a fairly young age, exposed to this showbiz world and exposed to being told that, oh, you're beautiful, oh, you're awesome, oh, you're great, and having to live up to that all the time to everybody. So I'm not surprised that she's damaged, but and I think it's perfectly understandable that a lot of people don't really like her all that much or at least have some trouble with liking her um because because she has had so much to overcome and hasn't always hit her targets that way uh 100% yeah i i i don't dislike her to the point where i think she definitely adds value to the game i think she has some interesting uh character related stuff um especially in her dungeon where it gets really weird and uncomfortable um but dungeons a strip club we should mention that yeah yeah um and it's not i it's not in any way oh my god i'm talking about a 16 year old girl i was gonna say <laughs> Go right, for it. just Do it's it. not i don't th- i personally feel like it, it's not in any way sexual because it's so unnerving like the whole atmosphere of that place mm-hmm. is really uncomfortable um just the music in the background in that dungeon just uh it's yeah. not it's not her, re- her her final boss too is like the creepiest one it makes all those squishy sounds when it moves around yeah it's so disgusting um and i'm pretty sure that's when you go right into the teddy fight afterwards it is yeah yes. yeah i hate that part yeah Ugh. it took me so many times to fight that because it doesn't it's like um it's a very old way of making games i feel like but how it just jumps you from boss to boss with no save point in between yeah and it just killed me until they did it again at the very end but at least uh, uh, the actual reset fight isn't that bad you know but at the same time it's yeah it's followed by one of the hardest boss battles in the (laughs) game um i i would say there's one moment with this character that i did find kind of humorous was the king's game scene um where the the characters get drunk, but they're not Do drunk. They? Yeah, it's so confusing. Like it, they say, oh, th- there's a point where you think that their soft drinks have actually been replaced with hard alcohol, but then it's revealed later on that it's not alcohol, and they were just getting drunk on the atmosphere. But yeah, it is, someone's popping gas in the room. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it, it is hilarious, kind of seeing the voice actors really have fun in that moment. Yeah. Uh, Re- as much as I'm not a fan of Rise in general, I did really like her in that moment. And Teddy is that's Teddy at his best yeah. in that moment. Um, yeah, has anyone got anything else to say about Rise? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Rise is that she's she is very different from everyone else. You know, coming from this different background, where she always gets her way. Yeah. I found it fascinating how she was always well, at least most of the time able to just manipulate things to go her way, you know? Like, she would pounce on an opportunity before everyone else because she's seen it first, you know? Oh, that's what I didn't like about her. Just just how, like, um, manipulative I mean, it's like, she uh, was. Like, she and Yuriko, you know, they're uh, doing something, and then, like, Risi will be writing and, like, on the main carter's arm. It was just... <laughs> I, I, I just different, you know? It, it's a very different thing from a lot of JRPGs, you know? I, uh, like, a different kind of carter uh, personality. I, I agree with you, on, to that extent, I just, 
And I, 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 I just, I, I do think she is, a, a, you know, a three-dimensional character. I just, if that person was alive and it, right in front of me, I still wouldn't like them. It, it's just a, a you know, a, a personal thing. But anyway, uh, moving on to a character I do really, really like. In fact, is my favourite character in the game, um, Naoto <sighs> Shiragane. Oh, you sighed. What? I did. what <laughs> I like Naoto, but um, I'm, I'm not enthralled by art, basically. Yeah, I, the thing for me is, even if you took away the whole transgender element, and by the way, just before I go on, everyone knew she was a girl, right? Yeah, of course. What? <laughs> <laughs> this like, is news to me. Actually, well, yes, I, I mean, obviously, but when you first meet her... It's tricky, because if you have played a lot of JRPGs, I like to call it the Is That a Dude game, because sometimes (laughs) it's really hard to tell. Like, I mean, if you look at, say, Teddy, if he wasn't wearing a tux, essentially, then you'd have a little bit of trouble with him. Because he's so pretty, I just they they like to they like to play with those conventions a lot and make very I, I'm I, there's a term in Japanese for it and I don't remember what it is so I'm sure somebody will write in and correct me if I'm wrong but um but yeah there are you know it's it's a an established art style to make these extremely pretty young male characters who could almost be mistaken for women and I'd say that yeah that I think you're right. Um, but, you know, that that's a thing. So if you've pl- particularly if you've played a lot of JRPGs, you might just think, oh, well, you know, it, yes, maybe this doesn't look like a typical male character, but eh, it's a Japanese role-playing game. What are you going to do? So, it, yeah, maybe. I, I think for me, it was the, the, vo- the vocal performance that just gave it away. Like, it doesn't matter how low you pitch your voice. I, I can still tell that you're a girl uh, if you're talking to me. And... And I, there, I mean, there was a part of me that thought, "Wait, is is this just a really feminine boy?" But like the first thing I thought, the the moment uh, Naoto opened her mouth was, "Okay, th- this is a girl, isn't it? Isn't it?" Um, and what I was going to say before is, for me, even if you took away the transgender element of her character, her her desire um, or her early desire to be a man i i still think she'd be an interesting character i i just find the whole relationship with her grandfather and her desire to be a detective and her relationship with the other policemen so interesting and i have to admit it kind of um connects with my general interest in crime drama so it's really cool having like uh, uh, that kind of character in what was up until that point just like a straight teen drama in this this kind of game i really liked her more mature tone compared to the other characters actually it just made me think about um if they'd replaced naudo with mcnulty from the wild <laughs> that would have been absurd <laughs> Sorry, Leah. No, I just I said uh, up to that point it's basically been Scooby Doo, so you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Someone that actually knows what they're doing happens to come in at the the right moment. <laughs> but um, uh, something that I really like about about Nauto, though is that even when it is revealed to the group that yes, she is definitely a woman, 
uh, she doesn't like automatically undergo this change and start dressing really feminine and mm-hmm. grow her hair out and start wearing dresses to school. She's still the same character. She still acts the same way. She's still everything about her is the same. It's not like they make this discovery and then everything changes, which I think would probably be the way that it would work if it was an actual situation. You know, it's not going to not everything is going to just come collapsing down just because they find out that she is actually female. Also, I've got to say that Kanji's earlier interactions with her are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah. He's so awkward, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Every high school boy has been in that situation <laughs> at one point. Maybe not the uh, doubting your sexuality point, but being nervous around girls. Yeah, yeah. for sure. My, my only problem with Naoto, for me, was just that she came a little too... She showed up a little too late in the game for me. Hmm. So kinda, I kind of wish they switched her and Risei around... Because I just didn't. By that time, I was kind of getting ready to finish the game, and and I didn't really go too deep into her social link just because it was so late. On a purely technical level, I did not use Nauto because of that very reason. Because she was so late in the game that I had already kind of settled into a party formation mm. that I liked, and yeah. I found her kind of difficult to integrate into what I already had going on. I, I've got to say that I didn't really change my party out. You know, like um, it was like the protagonist Yosuke, Chie, and um, Yukiko. Pretty much the oh entire God. game for me. Oh, wow. I was the complete opposite. I, I made sure everybody was the same level all the way through. And I still do that every time I go through the game, even though I've got my favourites. Like, I, I, even though Naoto's introduced later in the game, I, I find some of her abilities really useful. I oh, always she can have... be great if you learn how to use her well. I just never yeah. really bothered, unfortunately. Um, yeah, she's got a really strange kind of set of skills. Yeah, and, and and Kanji was is, is so powerful if you level him up. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to use Kanji more, but uh, like the, the the group that I had at the start were just so effective, you know. Yeah, um, they generally had one of each uh, element, and you know that's an important thing. If, that's fair enough. Yeah, um, I, I tended to compensate with the fact that m- my character could wield multiple personas so if uh, one character didn't have uh, an element i needed i could just always compensate for it but yeah anyway um we'll move on i even though these two are not party members i think it would be a miss not to talk about ryotaro dojima and nanako dojima because I think in a lot of ways they're the emotional core of the game. God, Nanako is Nanako is a heartbreaking character. Like she yeah. Oh, she kills me every time. Every time. Especially if you end up going all the way through both of their social links. It oh. Because Nanako will start asking you questions like, where do people go when they die? Yeah, oh, so crushing. Oh, and oh, do you think that I'll go to heaven so that I nope. can see my mom? I'm like, oh my god, Nanako, stop asking me that. I don't, I don't know how to answer you right now. Sorry, child, it's time for our rude awakening. One thing I loved about Nanako is that she wasn't a useless, you know, child character who um, needed you to constantly look after her. She's actually better at taking care of the house and sorting things out than her own father. Uh, Bless Dojima, but he's not going to be winning Father of the Year anytime soon. He, He has a lot of love in his heart for Nanako, but by God, stay at home more, please. That's the thing about the realizations that he comes to throughout the storyline is because he when when he starts out part of the reason that 
he's never at home is because he's trying to track down the person who killed Nanako's mother in this hit and run accident. So hmm. he thinks he's doing the right thing and he thinks that he is putting all of this effort into something that will somehow make her happier or give her justice. He's just completely overlooking the fact that all she really wants is for him to be there. So he's yeah. not I mean he's not being a terrible father just because, you know, he's neglecting her or because he's you know there's something wrong with their relationship. It's because his he has he has the right aim in mind. He's just going about it completely the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. You never, you never. There was never a point in the game where I hated Dojima because Dojima does a lot of things that I think are, you know, slightly questionable. But it's all coming from the the, the It's all coming from the right place. I think it's just he's not going about it the right way, as he said. But the the moment that gets me every time, and even though I know now that Nanako is fine, um, uh, and she she gets better, and it's okay. Wet, that point in the game where you think Nanako is dead, and the game really sells you on it, like it does such a good job of saying, "No, she is dead." And the moment Dojima walks in the room. His reaction was felt so natural to me. It wasn't like really over the top and really melodramatic. I think the the voice actor did such a good job, and I I need to find out who uh, who who I, I think his name is um, uh, J B Blanc who, who did the vocal performance. I think he does such a good job in that moment of really selling the grief of a father who just lost his daughter. This is going to sound horrible. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> I almost wish that they had left Nanako dead. I I kind of see where I like, know where you're not coming that I from. I want her to be dead because I don't. Don't get me wrong yeah. here, but it almost diminishes the impact on the story to magically bring her back to life, which is what they yeah, do. Yeah, I, I mm. totally know what you mean. I, I I still feel like the impact of that m- moment still has a lot of weight. Oh, it does. It absolutely I, I th- does. But I, I I agree with you that I think it would have been a braver uh, narrative choice to just kill her and have. All all the characters be left with that uh, consequence because, for, for the right, most that part, would be depressing. Yeah, I mean, so Persona, much a spunky ending. Yeah, yeah. Persona Four is much more light-hearted than Persona Three, and not to go into uh, specifics, I think Persona Three commits to some narrative decisions that uh, Persona Four doesn't. Yeah, um, and. Uh, yeah, and I, I I would have liked if Persona Four had ended with some, you know, some kind of loss, mm. uh, and it hadn't just been like, yeah, happiness, we're we're all awesome and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, uh, I I think that loss can be done well, but nearly uh, any time that it happens, I tend to feel slightly let down and depressed by the end, which I'm meant to feel, but it's just I like happy endings. Sue me. I don't mind happy endings. What I mean what? is, um, Josh. Yeah, you don't mind what? I don't. I, I don't mind what? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. You're too innocent for that one, I'm afraid. Okay. I, uh, I don't know what I was going to say now, so I'm just going to move, <laughs> move on. on. Move on. Well, I think um, that what you guys are talking about, um, how you kind of wish she was dead. I, I think that kind of speaks to. Uh, the overall plot in general. I'm not sure that the, the entire murder mystery Nanako stuff is as well done as just the individual character stuff. 
Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of also kind of why we're just talking about the characters right now, and we haven't even mentioned a thing about the murder mystery in general. So. And I don't feel like we necessarily have to spoil that one secret to talk about Persona 4, because mm. I, I, me and you have had conversations. The characters are the core of the game yeah, for absolutely. me, yeah. and the <laughs> narrative, the actual plot is secondary to that. Um uh, not that it's bad by any means. I think the mystery is oh. interesting, but um, th- that's not the reason why you're playing this game. Yeah. It's not the thing that pulls it's not you why through. We're here talking about it. The thing oh. is, I yeah. mean, it does kind of like play out as a Japanese visual novel quite a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like uh, go yeah. from day to day and just meet up with who you want you want to meet up with and just learn more about them. Um, uh, we're we're going to go into the mechanics in a minute, but before that, um, I haven't played Persona Four Golden. But I know that they have added an extra character called Marie. Um, is she a significant addition to the cast, or is she just kind of feel like somebody who's been added last minute? She is integral to the overall story, and I think she's fairly well done. Really integral. That's she, an interesting choice of words she because is di- yeah, she is directly uh, connected to the. The antagonist to the game. It's not that she's integral to the plot as such, it's just like one aspect of the plot is Marie is very much the opposite side. You can kind of see where she's coming from and it just kind of fleshes out the antagonist a little bit more. But, uh, aye, Sean, you never actually went into her last dungeon, did you? Yeah, I didn't, I, well, I never finished her social link, but from what I read, she's she's like related to the very final boss of the game or something? Is that it? Or Yeah, she's, she's like also a Sagiri. Popular. Yeah. In in a res sort of related uh, tangent here, because because it's only in in the golden version, did um, did anybody actually finish Adachi's social link? Because I mm-hmm. didn't. I started it, but I never got very yeah. far. I only got up to oh like three god. or four. Oh my god! You can have a social yeah. link with Adachi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh my god! <laughs> it's um, it's the helmet, and then he hangs out in Juness. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, halfway through, like, the social link breaks and gets replaced with another one. Because Adachi is... Obviously, his kind of interactions with your character has changed at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to keep it kind of, like, um, slightly mysterious. Yeah. I, I, I never got to the point where, where the social link changes. I had heard that it did, because it kind of has to. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I never got that far. So I was just wondering if it was worth pursuing. I'm going to try it this in my new game plus. But anyway, let's move on to the gameplay. We've talked a lot about the story in Persona 4 today, well, the characters in Persona 4 in this podcast, um, but w- what makes Persona 4 a game? Um, as we mentioned before, it is a JRPG, but one of the interesting things for me is how Persona 4 is so structurally different from most uh, JRPGs. Leah, would you would you like to explain exactly how it's different and what it uh, and the kind of mechanics it uses? The way that your party is set up in Persona 4, you have several options as to how you can control them. You can give them general guidelines as to how they should act, like if they should focus on healing or if they should focus on knocking down the uh, the enemies, which you do by uh, attacking their weaknesses. Like Some will be weak to ice, so if you hit them with an ice spell, you will knock them down. Uh, you can instruct them to do that, or, as I always do, you can opt to give them direct commands in battle. Now, each of your party members has a single set of spells. They have one persona, and they can't change. 
your main character, who is the only one that you have to have in your battles with you all the time, has a set of personas that you gain either by fusing them or by finding them in various um, places in your dungeons. You can you can uh, find them after battles. So you and as you level up, you gain the ability to carry more of these personas with you. And on each of your turns, you have the option to switch to a different persona if you want. So maybe one is stronger in healing, but it's also weak to fire damage. So if you're fighting something that does mainly fire attacks, then you might not want to have that one equipped unless you really need to heal. So it, it's it's a little bit more focused on that kind of strategy than a normal JRPG might be. Um, and also, it well, it is turn-based, so uh, that part is pretty much the same. But um, I, I think that the main difference is how you use the persona abilities and how you learn about the opponents that you have in each given battle. Because if you, um, if you have a fight against a certain number of enemies and then you fight those same enemies later, you can learn things about them. Uh, if you yeah. cast a spell on them and it doesn't work, then you can examine them in a later battle and say, oh, nope, you already tried that one. You don't want to cast you know ice on it again because it's just going to absorb it um so it's it's not only strategy within a specific battle but it's strategy within a series of battles so you want to really pay attention to how uh how many times you fight a particular thing and what you get out of each time i i think the emphasis on strengths and weaknesses more so than any other jrpg that i've played uh means that the combat scenarios always feel interesting um i there are points in games like final fantasy where you jump into a combat encounter and you're just pressing x not because uh that's the only thing you can do but because the enemies are so easy what would be the point in doing anything else than just constantly tapping x choosing attack so the uh, the characters just automatically do things in persona that's not really a good idea because even like enemies can even be strong against your basic attacks um which can be a huge problem and also the advantage of being able to exploit an enemy's weakness means that um they'll not they'll be knocked down and they won't have a t- uh, a move that turn but also if you manage to knock them to uh, knock them down that character gets an extra turn so it becomes about chaining these attacks together until you've knocked down every opponent and then if you do that you can have an all-out attack that usually kills every enemy on the screen in one hit and it it just makes you think about combat a lot more than i'm used to in most jrpgs and the interesting thing about personas is that um your own persona could easily get you killed if you're not uh, selecting it intelligently yeah. Like, if it's weak uh, to lightning, you go up against a big lightning enemy. Um, it could hit you twice. Um, it'll hit you once. It'll get another turn because it's um, attacked your weakness. And then the second yeah. one could easily wipe you out. And if your main guy dies, you're immediately out of the battle. Like, mm. um, you're, depending on the difficulty, you're either back to the, the start of the floor or you could be back to the start of the dungeon or your last save point, you know? So you do have to fight in a really intelligent, coordinate manner. And... There's a certain tension to that that I definitely appreciate more than just pressing A, you know? 
Um, while we're on the subject of personas, I want to bring up the rather disturbing, if you think about it too much, uh, fusing system, where you can take... Because uh, as you play through the game, once you finish uh, a battle, you're often rewarded with a chance to capture another persona. Um, and usually they're the ones that you capture are kind of a lower level than you're at at that point in the game but that's not a huge deal because what you can do is fuse these personas together uh, to create uh, more powerful personas um that was a system that i really liked because it allowed me to really customize um like the play style of my main protagonist and make sure i had all the key roles um that i needed in any given situation covered now i understand because i haven't played golden that there are some additions to this system in golden yeah um like i haven't played the original as i said but I do remember reading about this, and um, when you were fusing personas in the original, you would the traits would apparently be random, is that correct? Yes, it's luck of the draw. With yeah. The, yeah, and the new fun. one, you're actually allowed to select whichever traits you like. Which, to me, is mind-blowing. It, oh, it totally was. It totally <laughs> was, because I had played, obviously, Persona 4 before as well, and I just... My playtime must have been cut down 15 or 20 hours just from not having to re-roll Personas yeah. over and over again until I got what I wanted on a particular Persona. So, yeah, that's... Oh, that's a big, big thing. Right. Uh, just to bring it back a bit, I just want to kind of talk about the the larger structure of the game. Um, I feel like a lot of JRPGs kind of subscribe to the open world, but not really open world kind of formula in that you have this large space to explore, but you're really going from town to town. And, um, you know, there might be some missions there and some, you know, items to collect. Whereas in Persona 4 and Persona 3, I can't speak to Persona 1 and 2. Uh, you're in one place, um, and in Persona 4, that's Inaba. And you are free to explore Inaba right from the get-go. There's no, there's nothing locked off. You can just go wherever you want. Um, and uh, what progresses the game forward is not exploration, but a, you know, the, it's the progression of time. You have this calendar that uh, tells you what day it is and what month it is and what kind of stuff you're meant to be doing that day. And... Um, what the weather is, don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, and the weather, and that which is important when you're considering the TV world. So it's because, basically like Harvest Moon on the way. Yeah, in, in a sort in a sort of, yeah. And um, basically, Persona 4 is half JRPG and half social sim. Um, because most of your time is actually going to be going through the day-to-day stuff like going to school, um, hanging out with your friends, and making sure you get a bunch of activities done before a certain deadline. The combat and stuff like that is set aside for the dungeon exploration. There's just a separate area where all the combat takes place. Everything else is much more focused on... Uh, character interaction and you know leveling up your stats and so forth and so on how how do you guys feel about this structure i would say that there are points in the game when i get really into what's going on social link wise where i actually get annoyed that i have to go back into the dungeons 
Like, I'm exactly the same way. I can't way. be bothered with this. I have people to social link with. Um, but no, I, I really, I really enjoy that it's not just about the combat, and that there is another set of mechanics that are equally as important, if not more so, than just going in and fighting things and uh, and making your characters uh, level up. Yeah, I mean, the thing for me is that I do really like the social aspect of it, you know, like getting to know your characters better, but I'm not entirely sure I like the time element that much. Um, obviously, it's kind of progressing the story, but at the same time, it also limits not just what you're able to do, but you can get blindsided by, you know, you're like trying to level up your social links a certain way so that they'll all be a certain uh, level at a certain point, but then you'll go to see Kanji, for example, and he's not there because it's a Tuesday. Or it's raining, or that kind of thing. And, like, I am a stickler for getting the absolute best ending, or the best equipment in JRPGs, and I had to keep an eye on a walkthrough while I was playing. Just yeah. because if I had made an ass of it, I would have been furious with myself. And I think that just the, the extra, like, leeway to do it on your... Not so much on your own terms, but at least know what was going to be happening, like, uh, and how to get to the result that you wanted... If it, there was just a little bit more of that kind of structure, I would have been a little bit happier with it, I think. That is something that I actually really like about the uh, about the Vita version, is that they added a um, a button, pretty much, that when uh-huh. you... Yeah, I, I don't I don't remember what it's called. Um, voice, I think? Yeah, voice and SOS. And when you tap this voice button, when you have options like where to go, what to do, what to social link with, when you're oh, not yeah, in a dungeon, yeah. it will tell you... A big cloud of, of speech bubbles, basically, or thought bubbles, that tell you what other people did at this point in the game. So it's not exactly a walkthrough, because it's not saying, this is the best thing for you to do at this mm-hmm. point. It's showing you kind of a bunch of options, it's like, oh, well, a lot of people went and hung out with Chie on this day. Or maybe a lot of people went to... Um, to study at the library so that they would get their knowledge up, or they went into the dungeon on this particular day. So you can kind of get an idea of what the various things are that you could do, and not necessarily just be told, well, on this day, you should be social linking with this person. It, I, I really, really like that. I never actually used the SOS feature, but um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I uh, did I've... at one point, because I kind of backed myself into the corner in, the, I think it was the third dungeon. And uh, it's actually really cool, you know. Like, I am emotionally crippled, you know. Very little gets to me. Yeah. And, um, like, I, I played through Journey. Didn't understand it. It's just a platformer to me. But oh during this God. game... <laughs> during this game, I pressed the SOS button. And um, during the next battle, there was all these people that had kind of, like, responded and were like, yeah, we're all here for you. you go and do it. And I'm like, this is fucking great. <laughs> you know, all these people I have never met love me so much. And they've given me this health and uh, give me back my SP, and I might just be able to pull through this battle now. And I thought that was really touching. Just all these strangers I had never met kind of rooting for me. And it was all just done with the tap of a button. <sighs> I need to get a Vita. Yeah, you um, <laughs> right. right. Just to go back to the calendar system, I, I personally love it because for me it, cr- it really created the illusion that I was getting to know these people and this place in real time. Like, it it wasn't like I had to quickly understand what was going on in Inabar and what all these people were. I felt like I was, you know, I was an exchange student um, going there and, and just getting to know how the town works and what happens on what days and stuff like that. And it, to me, it was more effective than a lot of 
open world games in in selling me on this being a real world because everyone has a routine and everyone has a schedule of their life and making that a part of the game kind of made it feel like real life and i'm i'm, I'm kind of this is going to sound creepy to anyone who has not played Persona, but I'm sure these guys are going to be nodding their heads. It got to the point where I started seeing the characters as real people, sort of. Um, not as just, it's not. It wasn't like oh, I really like Andrew Ryan in uh, Bioshock because he's a really interesting character. I really like Chie because she was kind of actually my friend in some kind of weird way. Um, and that that calendar system kind of uh, built into that because, you know, sometimes Chie would phone me up and go, yo, you want to get some steak? And I'd be like, yeah, Chie, I want to get some steak. And then totally forget, <laughs> totally forget that I told Kanji that I was going to hang out with him. And he mm-hmm. phones me up and he's like, what, what do you just blow, you know, just blew me off. And I'm like, oh, shit, I just, you, you just give me this great mental image of Chie, like you, you playing the game, Chie phoning up you up and saying, you want to go get some steak? And then you actually getting your coat in real life and going out the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. Um, moving on. Um, the social we're clearly moving into this territory I really need we really need to talk about the social link uh, mechanic because I think it's one of the most interesting things about this game and honestly I was more interested in upgrading my social links than anything else like I like the combat in the game but like the combat at at certain points did feel like a chore Leveling up my social links never felt like a chore. I just wanted to do that all the time. And it was the thing that kind of got me addicted to it. To, you know, the social links were the thing that had me up until three o'clock in the morning some nights playing this game. It's, I just got so invested in that stuff. Yeah, definitely agreed. I, I think uh, I, I think if pressed, I would much rather do that than, uh, than be in the dungeons. Because you just, you get, it's like you have these individual storylines, and they're Mm. all intersecting, but they're all just different, and you might not even get to the end of some of them, because I don't think that there is any way to actually finish every social link chain in one game. I don't think you can. You kind of have to pick and choose. I did. Wait, all of them? (laughs) All of them. You did As I said, I was making sure. I walked through. I told you. I kept mine, I walked through. 
I, I just I kind of picked my favorite characters and just ha- hung out with them all the time. Um, and sometimes you get bonuses for your actual party members if you hang out with them, but that doesn't even matter because you just want to hang out with them because you want to see what's going on with them. And yeah. 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 Uh, That's a deal. I'm, I mean, I know that Josh doesn't like Risa that much as a cuddle, but if you get her socialing up, the benefits that it uh, leads to in battle, they are substantial. Oh, yeah. You know, um, it's like you get SP back after every round. I've no stuff like that. I, I've played the game three times now, and I have managed to get Rise higher up. So I do know what you're talking uh, about. That doesn't change the fact that I still don't like Rise. Um, <laughs> uh, or that you're still a monster. Yeah. One thing that I like so much about the social link stuff is like we, we keep saying leveling up our social links, which our social links, because that's what the game says outright. But really, what it is this? You're making friends. Yeah. And 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 you're when you say leveling up your social link, you're you're getting to know them. And like no other game have I ever played where I felt like the other people in the game were like my actual friends. That's I, such a fantastic thing about this. It, game. It, it's yeah. it's one of the strongest examples of um, tying in the narrative stuff with the actual mechanics of the mm-hmm. game for me because by getting to know these characters and and you know uh, finding out a lot about their back, backstory and helping them out with their personal problems you actually strengthen your relationship with them and that actually makes them more powerful in combat they have abilities and will help you in ways that they wouldn't do and that you know as a message i think that makes yeah. total sense like if you invest in your relationships with other people they will be stronger and so will you you know mm-hmm. I, I think that that's for something that's so mechanical in that game it, it does speak to something that's true in real life i i tended to focus on the party centric uh, social links simply because as we've already mentioned there are benefits within the combat to leveling that stuff up of, co- of course, leveling up the other social links helps you with fusion because if you level up a social link to a certain point, uh, if you fuse a persona within that arcana, it can actually level up multiple times so you can get a really super powerful persona. Um, so uh, all the social links are really useful, but there were some... This is more of a problem in Persona 3 for me because Kenji and Leah can back me up on this, can go to hell. Oh, yeah. Because absolutely. <laughs> you guys don't know what we're talking about. But Kenji basically has a crush on his teacher and he's desperately trying to convince you to help him get you know get a date with his teacher and it's just creepy and i hated him and i wanted to leave and there were certain social links in this game which i wasn't a fan of like um i forget the character's name but drama club Uh, oh yumi Yumi. Uh, just drama club got really dark i came here because i just (laughs) wanted to put on a play or put Mm -hmm. on a performance and then i just got saddled with all this daddy issue facing death in the face (sighs) (laughs) just and uh, I think the problem is because you never get to know those characters, those, um, you know, the characters that literally just ex- uh, exist for social links as well as your party members. Mm-hmm. I do feel like there's a certain point where you're like, I I don't really know you that well. I'm not really, cl- I don't think I should be getting involved. You are that emotional pillar after three days of seeing them though. Yeah. Just like if Chie told me, like, Look, I've got some issues with my dad. I'd be like, "Fine, Chie, let's you know, let's sort this. Fuck him up. Yeah, I'll (laughs) I'll sort him out. But like, I think yeah, it was Yumi. I think it was. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. It's funny after I, I, uh, I went through the whole social link with her, 
And then afterwards, you'll still see her in the hallway, and I just always felt like I was walking by and just turning my head slightly. So she won't see me. <laughs> oh, good, no, don't. Ah, yeah. Just don't look her in the eyes, <laughs> yeah. and then she won't say anything. It's funny, because there is, there is another choice when you decide to join a culture club, but, the, but nobody ever seems to go with the music club. Everybody always goes with the drama girl. <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't know what happens in music club. I don't either. Anyway, let's move on. Um... Right, so there are kind of choices at certain points in this game. I would not go so far as to say that anything you choose dramatically changes the story except uh, for except yeah, for yeah. <laughs> one point in the game. Um, and I'm really not a fan. Like, I love this game, but I'm really not a fan of the fact that you can stumble over the bad ending yeah. really easily that was the first one i did I, I, and it really bummed me out because here i was playing this i was up to like 65 hours and i was totally into it and then i came across the bad ending and it just stops and the story doesn't conclude and you go away and that's it and i was like really? what the hell is this yeah that's it that's all it is like she's still in the hospital and you just kind of take off and that's it i i think i did a really bad because um uh, Tony, Leon, and Jay kind of asked me about why you were suddenly feeling negative about Persona 4. And I, mm. and I did a poor job of explaining it. Um, mm. <laughs> basically, the thing is, when you've invested so much time into those characters in that world, for the story to suddenly go, okay, we're finished, yeah, credits, yeah. it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and And when you don't know that that's just a bad ending and there's actually like 15 to 20 hours left of the game to play, it is kind of soul-crushing. And I actually had that happen to me first time as well. It was only when I went online and I found out, oh, okay. Um, um, what's that, the actual trigger for this event, by the way? Is this the, the TV in the hospital? Yeah, it's when you're convinced that a certain person is the murderer. Yeah, that's the point I'm uh, talking yeah. about. Yeah, that, yeah. that is the TV in the hospital, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that just is poorly handled. There were, like, um, there were dialogue choices and stuff like that all the way through the game, but nothing nothing that uh, changed the narrative to the extent that, you'd like, like, a Mass Effect would do. It was just kind of, like, incidental character stuff. So when you were presented with that, it kind of felt, like, out of left field. Yeah. And it I think this... Because, uh, one of the things about that is, because a lot of the time you might be going for, like, uh, levity in conversations because mm-hmm. it doesn't have a real consequence. Yeah. And then to suddenly be presented with these choices that directly change the flow of the game. Yeah. Up, yeah, and, you know? up until that point, the worst thing that basically happens is you your social link slows down. But... In, in this case, it actually does end the game if you make the wrong dialogue decisions. And I didn't have that happen to me because the first time I played, I did have a, um, I had a strategy guide. So I, I was, because I had heard that there was a point in the game that if you weren't really careful, you could just completely end it. So I was really paranoid about that part. And I, I really wanted to make sure that I got through that and did not actually uh, end up screwing up the game for myself. I, I just don't, I just feel like in the moment, the moment that's important, it does such a poor job of informing the player that actually this moment it's important well if you don't try to kill the guy then maybe you're, i'm just saying <laughs> the, the thing is like um it seems to be a problem with certain japanese rpgs where they hide the good ending that will actually give you like a 
when you walk away from it, you'll be satisfied and everything will have resolved itself. Too many JRPGs that you've been playing for 40 hours, they hide the way to get to the best endings, or like they set, like one minor thing that you may have done earlier will send you off on a completely different branch. And it, it really is a killer when you just get this either a comedy ending or an ending that doesn't make sense, or in this case, apparently one that just cuts the game in half, you know? Well, it just cuts dead. Th- there are actually three endings with Persona 4. Um, there's the bad ending, which we talked about, the normal ending, and the true ending. Now, I feel like if you go through the game, personally, that if you don't get the true ending, that's fine. Like, I think that the normal ending is has enough closure and feels like a satisfying conclusion to the game. At the same time, I mean, like... We're dedicated. We might go back and do this, but a lot of people just might never see that, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not sure if the actual uh, the chance of missing like important story information is actually a good one, you know? It's like a, it's a, a really old trick. Like, I mean, even Symphony of the Night did it. But um, in a certain manner, it can be like an interesting uh, addition to the end of the game. But if you're expected to play another 40 hours and like go into a new game plus and then you miss it again, I think there's a poor element of design in there. I mean, you might be overwriting the same save, you know. The chance that you had to get that ending will be gone for another 40 hours, as opposed to something like something in the night where you can do it in, what, 20 minutes? Yeah. Right, okay. I want to talk about the general aesthetic of Persona 4, because I actually think it's one of the most... (laughs) aesthetically pleasing games I've ever played. Uh, This extends to both Persona 3 and Persona 4, but just the anime art style, not just the the character designs, but just the general UI and interface and all that stuff just looks really visually appealing to me. I agree. Yeah. We're all in uh, agreement with this one, I think. (laughs) Let's move on. Okay. (laughs) Well, all right then. Let's talk about the soundtrack. <laughs> um, the soundtrack is um, the fucking it's, best. It's amazing. <laughs> heartbeat, heartbeat. Oh yeah, that was um, of course uh, that was the intro to Golden. So yeah, I definitely not get it. <laughs> I've mm. I've listened to the Persona Four Golden soundtrack. It's genius. Yeah, I just. <laughs> Okay, I have to admit, when I first listened to a track from this game, I did feel slightly resistant to it, because it it does come off as cheesy at first. It's like, uh, it's that kind of weird Japanese hip-hop kind of thing, or uh, rap, or, like, whenever they are taking, like, a a genre that isn't really inherent to their their own musical styles, and kind of putting a Japanese twist on it, you know? And sometimes that crashes and burns miserably. And then in this game, you just get massive slices of genius being yeah. crossed into your ears. Yeah, because I usually, I usually hate this style of music. I usually, I, I don't like this style of music in most uh, Japanese games. But in this game, it's so good, and there are so many tracks that are memorable. I mean, everyone has that one track that just worms their way into their head. Uh, for me, it was Heartbeat, Heartbreak. I just found myself just walking down the street humming that to myself as I was going shopping and stuffing like that, stuff like that. Sometimes I, mean, I still hear the dorm music from Persona 3 just in my head. Yeah, it's just... Um, did anyone else have any favourite tracks that really stuck I out to I had quite them? a few favourite tracks. I mean, the one that stuck out at me, I mean, I don't actually... I've never read the OST, so I don't know the names of the tracks. 
But, I know um, them all because I am that kind of crazy. <laughs> Just sing it. We'll know it. Your affection. That's your affection, isn't it? Your affection. Uh, that's yeah, actually yeah. the name of the track. I think so. Yeah, that's like the most memorable one, one to me. And the thing is, the lyrics in that are so hard to decipher that if someone writes anything down that sounds even remotely like it, you will believe those are the lyrics. I like. I thought. I thought the fact that. <laughs> Because um, it's clearly a Japanese singer uh, singing in English, and English is not a language they're familiar with, and so there are there are choices in in terms of not just the way they pronounce words, but like the pattern of speech that nobody who's a native English speaker would choose. But it just doesn't bother me. Yeah, if you have like, time. Look up on YouTube. There are concerts, videos of concerts with them doing some of these songs live. It's, it's, Super. it's interesting. <laughs> Those are on the uh, golden version too. Yeah, it, it's incomprehensible gibberish most of the time. <laughs> but like, I think the, the singer the, is good enough, and the yeah, music in the sure. background is so good that it just doesn't bother me. It's it's humming music. Yeah. It's the kind of music that you can listen to. And if you don't like it, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter because it's stuck in your brain for the next three weeks. Yeah, and, and it's still, despite the fact that the the lyrics are indecipherable, it does really, you know, get across the tone and the emotion that that uh, song was uh, trying to get across. And, you know, there are lots of fun and, you know, weird, wonderful J-pop tracks, but there are some more, like, really affecting instrumental pieces throughout this game as well. Um, I know, Sean, you said New Days was one that yeah. really stuck with you. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of one that I really liked. I think it was the the, the slowed-down version of Face Yourself, Um the face yourself is usually a boss battle theme, I think, um, but there's like a slowed down version of it that's used in really intense emotional moments that I really liked. Uh, just oh, so many tracks. Like it, it, it's it's not just that there's a couple of tracks that I really love. I adore the entire soundtrack. There's not a weak track amongst the whole thing. Uh, I was just gonna say it's a it's a testament to how good the soundtrack is that you could listen to it for 70 plus hours and still love it just as much as you did the first time you heard it yeah yeah the thing is like these tracks are they're not like background music that just kind of feeds into the distance this is music that you're usually picking up on all the time while you're playing a lot of the time too and this this kind of feeds into it's it speaks to the quality because you will hear the same tracks a lot and <laughs> I didn't get ever get to the point where I thought, oh my god, I am so sick of this music, because it is that good. And, you know, every time, it, it also gets to the point where sometimes if you hear a particular start to a track or something, you know a little bit about what to expect. And I think that's uh, a really good way to tie in the soundtrack as well. It knows what, every track has a purpose, every track is meant to evoke a certain emotion in the player, and they're all put in the game at the perfect point. Okay, uh, now for some correspondence from our listeners. First, the forums. Uh, Todinho says, As I started playing, I found the game much more linear than Persona 3, with the game holding your hand for a long time before letting you go. I also found the game much easier in the normal difficulty with very little punishment for death. The difficulty didn't bother me too much, though, as Persona 4 is more of a lighthearted adventure that doesn't call 
for too much difficulty, unlike the Atmosphere of Three, which is the one I prefer. The dungeons themselves, however, leave Persona 3's Tartarus in the dust, with each of them reflecting the characters that are trapped within. The fact that there are many floors to each of them, and that you can stop and resume at the same floor you left off, makes for some very fun and less tiresome dungeon crawling. But the greatest strength of a Persona game are the characters and the social links, and in 4, they remain just as great, if not better, since I think the dialogue was improved overall. Also, there was a lot more focus on your party's members' social links than in 3, which is something that I really liked. I like all the characters in one way or another, but there was just one character, as I played through the game, I grew to despise. And no, it's not Teddy, it's Yosuke, that orange-haired jackass. I started, liking the, I started the game liking the guy, but by the end I just wanted to strangle him. If I can level one more criticism at the game, it's that the main plot kind of falls apart by the ending. I won't spoil it here, but the developers wanting to make the whole situation a lot more grand than it actually was only left me confused more than anything else. I'm wondering if that would be the gas station ending or just the, the tail off. Uh, mm. Well, I, I kind of agree with them, even if it's just the normal ending. I feel like the, the whole... I think they could have just had the murderer plot. Yeah, and that would and have that been fine. Yeah. I think their need to make the scale yeah. bigger I mean, that's actually what I was, talking was about a detriment. Earlier, like, um, there is a chunk of the, the story that's missed out if you don't go back to Junus at the end and mm. uh, go to the last dungeon and find out what's happening with the gas station at the end. A lot uh, of people would miss that. I missed it first time. Really well, yeah. Save. yeah, I missed it, but I, I honestly, having seen both endings, I don't think it affects it too much. But anyway, mm. carry on, Sean. Uh, he also says, none of the problems I mentioned prevented me from putting in 70 hours and wanting to immediately replay it after I was done. The only thing that prevented me from doing so was losing all my save files thanks to a system reset. This is a game I recommend anyone to play, even if you don't like JRPGs or the anime style of the game, just because of how good the characters are and how compelling the game is, and it's one of my favorites of all time, and with good reason. Okay, uh, Lee, Leah's now going to read an email sent from Devon York. All right. Says, having heard great things about this game, I was really pleased to learn you guys were going to review Persona 4. So now, having finished the game, I can say it really is a fantastic game. The characterization in this game is some of the strongest I've ever seen, with it dealing with deep and complex issues. The setting and atmosphere have a wonderfully stylized anime look to it that really holds up, with wonderfully drawn sprites and a large palette of colors. It really feels like you're living the life of a teenager with all the peaks and valleys that goes with it. Even the music is incredibly catchy and pleasing to listen to, even if the lyrics are abysmal if you read them. All of this ties together into a wonderful and unique JRPG experience. However, not everything is absolutely perfect about this game. First, there is the length, which for me, after finishing it, timed it at an 86-hour and 49-minute playtime. The length of the game can be a bit too much, and sometimes it can feel like you're not achieving anything worthwhile during sections of the game, especially when you hit the month of December where your options become extremely limited. Combat is your standard JRPG affair, so unless the battles are challenging, it can get dull or tedious very easily. Finally, easily the worst part about the game are the side quests. Every single one, or at least all of the ones I did, are literary fetch quests that require you to go to previous dungeons that you had entered. They also don't have much in terms of rewards, and your time would be better spent going to the last dungeon you went to for grinding. Nothing made me want to turn off the game more than doing these quests, and I wouldn't suggest anyone to try and do them at all. But those are just small pine cones in an otherwise great fruit salad of a game. It is easily the best JRPG that I have ever played, and I would highly recommend this game to anyone who loves RPGs. Okay, now your free word reviews from Twitter. First of all, Xanteriad says, couldn't get started. It's All Star says, PS2's last classic. Ideology Life says, step aside, Square. Coldstream says, Persona forever. Chazzy UK says, stunningly beautiful artwork. Devin York One, speaking about me, says, stylish and original. <laughs> 
Daniel Floyd of Extra Credits fame says, Yukiko Laughing Fit, or Barry Barry Good. K7E7Z says, Is he gay? John Johnster says, I art thou. Jerome MCA says, Tank kicking fun. And that's fantastic. <laughs> Silent Hitashura says best characters. Uh, Kazimod says failed lunch recipes. <laughs> Zephyr Light says foxes in bibs. Now we we didn't <laughs> we didn't bastard. mention fox. How did we not talk about the fox? <laughs> okay, just to briefly say, there is a fox who is effectively a drug dealer, and he <laughs> is an asshole because he always overcharges for his leads. He does it if you go through his social link. Uh, Wait, whoa, whoa Oh yes, there is, sorry I completely forgot about the Fox social link Oh yeah, it's a little different from the other social links Because uh, you actually have It's full of little mini side quests You have to go out Mm -hmm. and help people that have left him notes Basically saying This is what I want to have changed So he gives you these notes You go do the quest for these people And then he rewards you by making his leaves a little bit cheaper First hit's free though uh, I'd like to point out one thing before we keep going. No other game in Canaan's history from before or after will ever have three-word reviews that follow each other with failed lunch recipes and foxes and bibs. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> okay. Michael Ledward says, Vision and Will. No 8 Axel says, Ending brought sobs. And Ready Up Dan says, I miss them. <laughs> Too true. Yep. Okay, now for our summaries, starting with Darren Foreman. Well, I think it's pretty fair to say that uh, nearly everyone that plays Persona 4 ends up really liking it, you know? It's just one of those games that kind of burrows deep into you like a parasite and starts injecting you with all this fluid that just gives you a great time before you kill over and die. But you don't kill over and die in this game. You know, the juices keep coming and you keep loving these cartels, and it just... It's an amalgamation of so many disparate and just expertly produced elements, you know? I mean, you've got the visuals, you've got the storyline, you've got the the soundtrack, which is obviously fantastic, and I'll be listening to the OST after uh, this podcast, actually. And it's it's just fun to hang around with the Scarters, you know? That's the baseline. They're funny, they're charming, they're unrealistically likable, you know? It's, uh, like, people say that this is a nice slice of your teenage years, and that's a goddamn lie. My teenage years were nothing like this. You know, school wasn't as fun, the people I was hanging around with, you know, like, they never had any teeth, for example, you know? <laughs> Just, like, I, I don't know I, if I think I think your experience of high school was unique, I'm not uh, sure Darren. if, uh, like, growing up in this area, like, makes everything slightly different from you guys, but, like, most people that I knew at the academy were mutatoids. They were horrible people, you know? And just, like, looking back into this, what could have been if, you know, like, everybody was likeable, it's it's interesting, you know? And it makes for a damn good game. Let's see, I mean, I'm trying to think of anything that I actually disliked about this game, and I can't think of anything offhand. Maybe possibly the, the, the relentless progression of time is a little bit strict for getting everything that you might want to do done. But other than that, you know, it's like a game that you can safely recommend to pretty much anyone. I've never heard anyone playing this game and disliking it. Maybe not loving it as much as other people, but, I mean, the amount of games that you might play, like, uh, like, last four hours, look like shit and you don't enjoy them, 
if people were buying games like this instead, the entire gaming culture would be vastly enriched, you know? These kind of games would be coming out more, and it would just be an, an overall sunnier world. It might not be my favourite JRPG all time, like, uh, that's still Shadow Hearts, uh, in my personal opinion, but it's damn close. And this late in the JRPG cycle, for uh, the amount of decent JRPGs that are coming out, that's a damn good surprise for me. Sean? I don't know, the first word that comes to my mind when I think of Persona 4 is it's endearing, and it's the most one of the most charming games I've ever played. Um, I don't think it's entirely without fault. I think it's uh, I think it's too long. I think that the main story is too long. There's too many. Uh, oh, you caught the guy. No, you didn't really catch the guy. And you caught the guy. You didn't really catch the guy. Kind of thing. But that's not that important considering the meat of the game and the part that I love so much was the friendships you make. And that's something I've never said about a game before in my life. And if uh, I know this game didn't come out this year, but it's definitely the best I've played in a year. So absolutely one of the best games I've ever played and highly recommend it to everybody. Leah? As I have mentioned before, I play a lot of JRPGs. So me saying that a JRPG is good is probably something to be taken with a grain of salt at the best of times. But I generally recognize that the things that I like in games are not always the things that other people like in games, and so I don't generally try to push my choices on other people. I push Persona on people because I think it is that awesome, and I think that people, even people who don't normally get into the genre, can get a lot out of this and will get a lot out of this and will not hate me for telling them that they should play it, even if, um, like I said, my choices may occasionally be a little bit suspect. So um, I think that's probably the highest praise that I can give this game, and it deserves it, because it is absolutely among the top things that I have played ever, and that's what keeps me coming back and playing an 80-hour game, an 80-plus-hour game over and over again. I don't do that with a lot of games, but I, I will with Persona. For me, this kind of goes beyond just, like, greatest games I've ever played sort of discussion. Honestly, both Persona 3 and 4 are probably some of the greatest experiences I've had with media full stop. Uh, I'd honestly, and I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but I'd honestly put it up there with stuff like The Wire and Fight Club, things that have really just gone beyond just being entertaining and really touched me on a personal level these characters are real to me in a way that has never happened to me in a video game before like uh, there are certainly games that have come close uh, mass effect is one of them uh, walking dead is one of them and I, and there are certainly characters that i think are possibly more interesting and more complex like uh, andrew ryan but just, I felt like these people were actually my real friends in a way that is creepy and unhealthy, and I acknowledge that, but it doesn't change the fact that I felt that way. Um, just the music, the aesthetic, just it punches well above its weight in every single category. It is, re- it's renewed my, well, actually, I have to say, 
Sean, in the Dark Souls podcast, you said that Dark Souls had basically killed action RPGs for you because nothing came close in quality. Mm -hmm. I feel very similar about JRPGs after playing Persona 3 and Persona 4. I tried, people. I tried to play Lost Odyssey, but I just couldn't give a crap about those characters and that world because... I know there are people listening to the uh, to this who love that game and would include it in their top ten. Sorry, Tony, but it just isn't good as good as Persona. It I just like doesn't to even mention at this point that I am currently twitching with rage. <laughs> it just doesn't even come close. Um, no, I'm good in brother, <laughs> and I just I adore this game. It's I, I personally prefer Persona Three. Uh, because for me, for whatever reason, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I played Persona 3 first and I, I grew attached to the cast of characters in 3 first. And I, and I do think that narratively, 3 makes some better decisions and commits to some ideas that 4 kind of doesn't. But overall, both 3 and 4 just absolutely my favourite games of all time. Uh, if you love storytelling and characterization in video games, you owe it to yourself to play these games because they are just brilliant. I will say one thing, though. Go on. I am massively disappointed that uh, the meat dimension wasn't a bonus dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and now for the roundup. Uh, you can play along with Kane and Rince Volume 2. Next week, Tale of Tales, The Path, The Graveyard, Fatal. Uh, someone else pronounced that. Bien That game. Uh, Uncharted <laughs> <know> 2. <laughs> Continuing our Uncharted saga, Uncharted 2, Among Thieves. Watch me and Carl, well, listen to me and Carl go at each other with knives and possibly grenades and some other weapons. Um, Driver San Francisco, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, the end of our Uncharted saga, Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception. Fez, Aliens Colonial Marines, Dishonored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to that podcast. Oh, it's terrible. We, it's so bad. I think I'll we, have one or two things to say. Yeah. Uh, Minecraft, uh, the 2013 Tomb Raider, El Shaddai, Ascension of the Metatron. Fantastic name. Mm-hmm. Shame about the game. Uh, DMC, <laughs> Devil May Cry, uh, Deadly Premonition. Uh, Star Wing, Star Fox, Lilac Wars, Star Fox 64, the Star Fox saga. Um, Star Wing saga. Uh, yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, Fahrenheit slash Indigo Prophecy, Super Meat Boy, L.A. Noir, Psychonauts, and Heavy Rain, <laughs> which is going to be an interesting yep. podcast to say the least. Yeah. Um, take a look at our quick, uh, quick rinse videos via the blog or on our Kane and Rinse YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rinse. Uh, have a look at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Kane and Rinse. 
and you can also support us by subscribing, reviewing, or rating us on iTunes. Check out the Cane and Rinse periodical, because seriously, Jay puts a lot of hard work into that, and I, I think the more people who see it, the better, because it, it's yeah. really professional-looking, and I'm, I'm really proud of it as a part of our site. And you can also check out the Cane and Rinse Minecraft server. Also, c- come along to the... F- the forum come on guys join the canaan rinse community and have your say at uh, canaanrinse.com slash forum level up your social links with us on the forum yeah <laughs> uh all this and more can be found at canaanrinse.com uh so i joshua garrity would like to thank darren foreman sean o'brien and our special guest leah haydu uh thank you very much guys for helping me gush over persona 4 <laughs> and now i'm sure sean will insert some lovely j-pop music Persona. Let's go away, guys. Actually, if you could just record yourself singing the whole OST, I'll use that for the episode. That's about good. <laughs>